It's good to be with you, family. If, uh, if you don't know me, I am one of the leaders here, and I'm a, I'm a beggar who has found bread and is inviting other people to the feast. That's the most important thing that you should know about me. I should maybe say I was a beggar, and now I'm a son sitting at the table, which is amazing. Um, we're going we're gonna to be in the Gospel of Mark today, like we have been for the last few months. You can open up your Bibles to chapter 8. And before Sarah, uh, who I think is here, she's some, there you are, um, before Sarah reads a text for us, I'm going to, I want, um, I want to acknowledge the presence of a good friend and a mentor of mine. He, I told him I wouldn't embarrass him, but I know I kind of probably am. Uh, Larry Jones, would you mind just, just standing up for just a second so people can see you? This is Larry, Pastor Larry. Can we welcome Larry here um, amongst us? For the last year, a group of us, uh, different elders, pastors in the city, have been meeting uh, once a month uh, as a, uh, a part of a racial reconciliation network. Um, and we, we've decided a year ago that consistency is our goal, not just to respond when it's a hot topic in the news. So Larry um, has been one of the guys I've been sitting with and learning from. Whenever Larry speaks, everyone stops talking and starts taking notes. He's also one of the most humble leaders in the city. He is such a, um, just a, a spirit-filled listener. And, uh, and so what he, why he's here today is simply for the sake of racial unity in our city, for the sake of networking, for the sake of presence and relationship. And so thank you for coming. And uh, so he's just going to be sitting right there. But after the end of our gathering, I'd love for you to, to meet him, uh, to hear his passion uh, and his, uh, just his heart for this city and for the church in this city. Thank you for being here, Larry. Yeah. So family, Bibles open to, Ma- uh, to Mark 8, and Sarah, our sister Sarah, is going to read our passage for today. You can cut on up, Sarah. Chapter 8. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. 
And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Thanks, Sarah. And I just realized that the little voices who are leading us in worship need to be released and sent back to their, um, their rooms. Is that correct, Lissa? Yeah, great. I forgot to say that. So kids, you can uh, head out, and I'm going to pray for you. If you join with me in praying for our kids as they go and hear the good news about Jesus. Father, thank you that you love all of our kids. Thank you that you are the best parent. Uh, that is good news for all of us parents, that you are the one who is primary pursuer and discipler and on mission with our kids. Um, so we ask that even right now, our kids, just, just like Mark said at the beginning, our kids would be with Jesus right now, that they would become like Jesus right now, that they would learn what it means to do what you do. Pray that your spirit would empower those who are calling them to that. And uh, that uh, even if things don't click now, later as our kids mature, they would look back and say, I remember, I remember a unique authority that came out of that person that comes by your spirit. So we ask for all that right now. Amen. You can keep your Bibles open to chapter 8, the passage that uh, Sarah just read. And I want to start at the end. I don't know if you caught the whole progression of what was happening there. But the disciples of Jesus are in a boat, again, with Jesus, and they forgot to bring bread. And they're really not doing okay with this realization, which is kind of crazy because this is the third time. This, this is already two times Jesus had taken care of a lack of bread. Right, And maybe you heard Jesus, and kind of, I think, an exasperated, um, definitely loving, definitely patient, but kind of like, oh my goodness, that line, don't you remember? And he actually asks him, he says, don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? Don't you remember when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember and I think that's Jesus' invitation even for us today is, do we remember? Don't you remember? Um, if you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, maybe like me, you really could look at that, this, this uh, passage, the feeding of the 4,000, okay? The feeding of the 5,000 has already happened, and it could be really normal for you to say, how could they forget? Like, how could they forget that Jesus took care of this at one point? In fact, there are some kind of more critical scholars of the Bible that are so 
confused by this that they say there must be it must be an error this must be the same event two times it couldn't how in the world is it psychologically possible for this group of people to forget again and maybe you're like yeah how could they forget until until I look at my own life and I have to say yeah actually I know how they could forget Actually, I do know how they could forget. When I look at my daily life, when I look at the last year, when I look at the last month, Dawson, yes, Jesus has been faithful before, but will he be now? Will he be faithful now? Yes, Jesus has been enough in the past, but will he be enough today? The reality is, and I'm, I'm just leading out in this, first one, we all suffer from gospel amnesia. We all suffer from a short-term memory loss of who Jesus is, what he's done, who we are. So we're all, in a sense, kind of like little Dories from Finding Nemo. If any of you have seen that movie, Pastor Larry, have you seen that movie? You know what I'm talking about. I'm really happy because I was like, I don't know if everyone will know. So we're all little Dories. And you know what little Dory does. Andre, you can put that slide up there. I think we got it. She, you know, she meets Marlon, Nemo's dad, and she comes up and she says, Hi, I'm Dory. I suffer from short-term memory loss. Her voice is Ellen DeGeneres. She does a great job. I suffer from, more, uh, from short-term memory loss. Two minutes pass by. She kind of rounds a corner, bumps into Marlon again. Hi, I'm Dory. I suffer from short-term memory loss. And as I was thinking about this this week and looking at this text, I was like, man, maybe it would be a good practice for us in our family for us just to introduce ourselves in this way. Hi, I'm Dawson. I suffer from short-term memory loss. I continue to forget that Jesus is enough. You should know that about me. Help me remember. In fact, uh, one of uh, the greatest seasons of our um, missional community when we were living in Slovakia, we had this practice. And after we'd eat, we would say, okay, where is an area of gospel amnesia in my life? that I want you to know about. And I want you to speak the truths of Jesus back into my heart because I am so forgetful. Samuel Johnson, 18th century British writer and poet, says it like this. People need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And I think Jesus is gracious in his pedagogy. He's actually, as much as he's exasperated, he's like committed to helping the disciples remember what they need to remember and so today we're looking at the king the king's call to remembrance and three things to remember that Jesus is our daily bread emphasis on bread second that Jesus is our daily bread emphasis on daily and then third Jesus shows us the importance of the practice of remembrance and remembering so that first one, the king's call to remembrance. Jesus is our daily bread. Before I get into it, let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you're, I'm sure the disciples even felt some shame. Oh, goodness, we forgot the bread. And you are committed to meeting us wherever we're at. I pray that right now you would help us see, help us remember what you have told us in the past and help us see that you're enough. Do something in our hearts, even as we sit, as we gather, as we engage together with you right now. Amen. So they're there. 
similarly to the story before the feeding of the 5,000. They've been with Jesus for a while. This time it's three days. People are getting really hungry. Jesus has compassion on them, the text says, and then he rallies the disciples to help figure this out. And their response in verse 4 is, where in this wilderness can anyone get enough bread to feed them? That, that, that question's a valid one, but it's actually a question that they could have realized has been said before. Hundreds, more than hundreds of years before, in Psalm 78, there's a, there's a, it's captured what the Israelites said when they were in the wilderness. It looks pretty similar. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? This is said, this is the, the people who are asking that second question, that's the Israelites, the people of God who crossed the Red Sea, split into two. They cross on dry land. Then they're hungry in the wilderness, and they ask this question. Can God really give us some food? So Psalm 78 talks about this. Uh, it continues to tell the story of what happened to this people that suffered from amnesia. This is what God does. God gave a command to the skies above. He's like, I'm going to spread a table. He opened the doors of heavens and rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. And then it says they ate till they were gorged. That's a good answer to that kind of cynical question. <laughs> they ate till they were gorged. So this bread comes down from heaven. It's called manna with a question mark, which means what is it? Or what, what is this? This question mark. And throughout the book of Mark, Jesus is roaming around, and people are asking a similar question. Who is this? Who is this? What is this guy? And he, he comes on the scene, and John... At this very moment, after feeding the 4,000, Jesus goes back to the manna and back to this moment of bread from heaven coming down, and he answers the question, who is this? He says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. So there's a lot going on here. The, like, Jesus is very specifically making known that he is the new bread. He is the bread that is actually going to satisfy and sustain his people in the wilderness. And three quick observations on what kind of bread Jesus is. First, he's a satisfying bread. It says in verse 8, they ate and were satisfied. Now, some of you guys know that I've spent kind of my life bouncing back between the States and Eastern Europe, and there's a lot of things I love about the States, Pacific Northwest, but one thing, it is not the bread, okay? And what I mean by that is, for some reason, I know we're, we're kind of learning in the last few decades, but that right there is not bread, that white thing, that white piece, that white slab. Um, not to pick on wonder bread, but I do think it's a wonder that they call it bread. It is ridiculous. It is not uh What's the word? Sustaining, right? That over there is what you, you can buy in the grocery stores I was growing up for for 20, 20 cents. 
It's amazing, good stuff. And thankfully, we have some people in this room, like, I'm just going to name names. I'm hoping they might drop some off, like Nick Mealy and Rachel Lair and Jessica Rowan and a bunch of people that can make the real bread. But there's a difference, is all I, all I want us to be clear on. The f- there's a fake bread that is not sustaining, and Jesus is a satisfying bread. He, they ate and they were satisfied. Now, we can have a whole sermon on unsatis- like unsatisfying breads, but historically, people have identified kind of three categories of unsatisfying feasts, and that's money or comfort, sex or intimacy, power or significance. Those are just broad categories of actually good things that when people start to gorge on, they're in trouble, though. I would add a fourth one. So it's sex, power, money. I think the fourth one for this age is distraction. It's just a numbing, and, and I can't do it all, so I'm distract myself uh, away from it all. Now, none of those things, including I even think the distraction, like a vacation, entertainment, are bad, but they become bad when you think that is real bread, that false bread. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. None of those things can satisfy. And a poet of our recent days, a different, another poet, wrote a song called I Can't Get No Satisfaction because he's living off of those breads. On the, what is that, left to you guys? And Jesus is actually, his answer to that poet is, no, actually, you can. You can be satisfied. Second, real quick, Jesus is not only a satisfying bread, he's an abundant bread. Notice there's a surplus at the end in verse 8. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Family. There is always more of Jesus available to us than we can imagine. There's always more. Sometimes we can get mixed up, and, uh, and maybe we kind of identify with little Oliver in that 50s musical. This is the second week, second week in a row I've mentioned a 50s musical. I don't know. It just tells a little bit of my history. But Oliver, do you remember that? That little Oliver uh, musical. There's a moment in there where he comes to, um, he's an orphan, and he comes to the director after they've eaten this really sad little meal, and he comes and says, please, sir, can I have some more? Knowing he's about to get scolded. This is the opposite with Jesus. The reality is you can never get enough of Jesus. There is always more. No one has ever eaten their full of Jesus and his presence. And in fact, I think in some ways we could say we're, we're invited into this like holy gluttony. It's the only place we, that that's actually condoned. Like, that we, in a way, are created for indulging, but indulging on Jesus. Indulging on Jesus. We live in a broken world. We are needy people that are hurt, lonely, sad, and angry. And I'm noticing patterns in my life and other people's lives of dealing with that. We gorge ourselves because of that brokenness. And what does that look like? We numb our pain, whether it's wine or uh, ice cream for some. We binge on Netflix to forget we're lonely. We go to cheap instant sex to cure our sadness 
Some of us indulge in working hard, trying to fill a void that is telling us we're not enough. Some of us have Amazon packages coming on our porch, and we don't even remember what we ordered. And some of us, and this is me, can actually indulge in religious activity just to prove that you matter. And Jesus is saying, all of that is fake food. Some of that's good things. Ice cream is totally fine. But we were created for indulging. And if we don't indulge on Jesus, we're going to indulge on something else. St. Augustine, or Augustine, I named my son Augustine. I think Augustine's the right way to say it. But anyway, St. Augustine has a phrase that I slightly remixed to fit this. You've made us for yourself, Augustine is telling the Father. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are hungry until satisfied with you. No one has ever eaten their fill of Jesus. Jesus invites us to, and one day we actually will be able to fully. The last thing I'm going to say this, and, and, uh, as far as Jesus being our daily bread, is just very quick note. Jesus is not only, not only is he satisfying, not only abundant, he's bread for all. And I don't, have to go, go in, I don't have time to go into all this, but the reason there's a second feast on a hillside is the first one was with the Jews, and the second one was actually with the Gentiles. And Jesus, even the symbolic language, you don't want to go too far down that road in terms of numbers and all, all this stuff. But there's an interesting, uh, an interesting, um, there's interesting specificity with like 12 baskets for the Jews, which is the 12 tribes of Israel, and then seven for the, the Gentiles, which seven is just a number of, of completeness, of all. There is this statement being made, I am bread of life for everyone. For the whole world. So if there's anything hind- like hindering any of us here today saying he might be good, good bread for some, I'm not sure if I'm invited to the table, that is not true. There is a place at the table for all. So that's, that's Jesus being uh, our daily bread with emphasis on bread. But I also want us to notice Jesus is our daily bread, emphasis on daily. L- look at how this whole hillside thing plays out the disciples jesus could have just made like this this he could have waved a wand and made this like magical pile this big old pile of bread and fish come dive in but instead it says that he keeps breaking the bread he keeps breaking the fish and the disciples come they grab it they go give it and they come back and he keeps supplying their need there's this beautiful transaction that keeps happening they have to keep coming back to jesus who who breaks their the bread for them and i think there's two things that keep us from coming back from jesus i think the first thing is that we try to live off of yesterday's bread that's the first thing what i mean by that go back to if you remember the story of the of the 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 manna you remember there's this weird little like nuance with it and that's that they couldn't hoard it. And I'm sure there was a bunch of little, like, eight, nine-year-old boys who were like, oh, I'm, I'm saving some of this. And then the next day, it was bad. It was, it was bad. And the principle was, you don't live off of yesterday's bread. Every day, Jesus will give you what you need. 
I think that's one of the things that keeps us from going to Jesus is we don't actually wake up needy. We actually have a powerful experience where Jesus meets us in our need, and then we try to live off of that until we can't anymore. Instead of daily waking up saying, I am needy today, I'm a beggar, I'm going to come to you, break off another piece, here we go. For some reason, our hearts just aren't wired that way. For some reason, often I wake up and I say, this is going to be a good day, until it isn't. And my, my first wake-up moment should be, okay, I need more manna, where is it? Give it to me. So that's the first thing that keeps us from coming back to Jesus is we actually are like, I'm going to try to coast on yesterday's bread. And the second, I think, is fear for tomorrow's bread. Fear for tomorrow's bread. I want to read this uh, story I came across. After the Korean War ended, so after the Korean War ended, South Korea was left with a large number of children who had been orphaned by the war. And we saw the same thing in the Vietnam conflict, in Bosnia, Afghanistan, other places. In the case of Korea, relief agencies came in to deal with all the problems that arose in connection with having so many orphaned children. And one of the people involved in this relief effort told of a problem they encountered with the children who were in these orphanages. Even though now that they're there, the children had three meals a day provided for them. They were still restless, and they were anxious at night, and they had difficulty sleeping. And as they talked to the children, they soon discovered that the children had this great anxiety about whether they would have food the next day. That makes sense after the trauma they've been through. So, to help resolve this problem, the relief workers in one particular orphanage decided that each night when the children were put to bed, the nurses would place a single piece of bread in each child's hand. And the bread wasn't intended to be eaten. It was simply intended to be held by the children as they went to sleep. It was a security blanket for them, reminding them that there would be provision the next day for their daily needs. And sure enough, the bread calmed the children's anxieties, and they went to sleep. Family, I think some of us need to start making it a habit of going to bed with some bread. We need to make it a habit of before we lay down, or as we're laying down, grabbing onto bread and saying, this is how Jesus has been faithful this is what he's done. This is what he's done. He was enough. He is enough. And he's going to be enough. He's enough. Then we have this weird little transition, if you notice in the story. These complete unbelievers in Jesus. Believers in God, but unbelievers in Jesus, the Pharisees come and they demand of Jesus, give us a sign that we might know who you are, which is kind of crazy. He just fed 4,000 people and there's been a few other signs, lots of rumors. They say, give us a sign. They want this definite sign. Like, 
God saying, this is my beloved son. They, maybe they weren't there when that actually happened. They want a sign, and Jesus, if you look to his response, what does he do? He literally turns his back on them and walks away. Now, I want to be careful. I only have a few things to say about this, but I have some conviction around this. I want to be really careful to make clear, Jesus is a close friend to doubters. He is a very close friend to doubters, people who are trying to figure out who he is. If you're struggling with doubt, you are so welcome here because you are welcome in Jesus' presence where he longs to bring people in and say, let's work this out together. Needy, doubt, needy doubters, that's basically all of Jesus' friends. That's all of us. Working through our doubts, growing in our belief, even if, the, if, if it takes you through a long road of, of doubting. But let me be clear, Jesus is a good friend of needy doubters, and this text makes it really clear that he's not a friend to arrogant doubters, to, to people who say, Prove it, but I think I know. He turns their back on them. There, there, there's probably some exceptions to that, but we rarely see it. An exception may, is probably definitely, I like that phrase, probably definitely Paul, who, who, uh, who was a very arrogant, angry doubter. But what did Paul have to go through? A, a, a little stretch of blindness and then like two years of reform school with Jesus. So all I'm saying is if you're a doubter, stay soft. Let's stay soft. Doubt all you want, but stay soft. Doubt your doubts. Because this is a picture of what happens when doubting goes hard. Jesus turns his back on people who go hard. And I, I want to actually pray, Jesus, there's a lot of people in our city who are doubting. I just pray that you would draw them to you and you would keep their hearts soft. So now we get back to the last scene where we started. Okay? Jesus feeds the 4,000. The Pharisees interrupt him, and they hop on that boat, like I said at the beginning. They hop on the boat, and the disciples realize we forgot bread. And like I said at the beginning, they are, they're, they're not okay with this. They're not happy. They probably feel some shame. I think what happens after that is Jesus calling them to the importance of practicing remembrance. And he walks them through that text I said at the very beginning. He's like, don't you remember what happened with the 5,000? Don't you remember? He wants to point them and us to the need for spiritual remembrance in our lives. If they had remembered, even though they didn't have bread... They'd be engaging in that holy gluttony with Jesus on the boat. But we actually need to be called to to learn what it means to practice remembrance. I don't know if you guys were here a couple years ago when um, uh, former elder Randy led this church through the Joshua series. And there's there's a really cool moment in that Joshua story. Joshua is one of the the, the leaders of the uh, Israelites in the Old Testament, right after Moses. And what happens is Joshua's the one who actually gets to lead God's people into God's promised land. And right after they get there, you know what they do? They take 12 stones from the riverbed, 
And then they create this remembrance monument. And they party into the night. It's big old party, campfires around these stones. So they have these like remembrance parties. And then, if you read through the book of Joshua, you'll find time and time again where Joshua goes back to those 12 stones. And I think in doing so, he's kind of like pushing play on the tape. Like, okay, remind me what God did. And what's cool, if you look at Joshua's story, he goes back when he's had a bad day and when things went well. In his failures and successes, he goes back to these remembrance stones and says, I need to be reminded of what God did that he was gracious, how he saved me, how he used me, and that he can do it again. It's powerful. Family, we need to have these kind of remembrance parties. We need to have remembrance monuments. That means it, it needs to happen personally for us. This has been a good message for me this week, as I've had a difficult year, often when I do not want to remember. This week has been so good, looking back at oh, but look what God's done. This needs to happen in our missional communities, and I think it does happen. And just your, your feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000 stories, where you hear maybe from someone else, hey, let me tell you how Jesus was faithful when we gather around a, a meal. And we have uh, hopes that this summer, as we kind of get back into different rhythms, there will be a lot of remembrance parties as we gather together. Um, this needs to happen corporately. That's why we gather in part here. It's a remembrance party. What has God done in Scripture? What has God done in the life of our church? Last week was a beautiful remembrance party as we had three um, mothers uh, share what God has done. Some very difficult things. It's really important. <laughs> Often we throw remembrance parties about what God has done in the most difficult times of our life. That's why we need the parties for those who are in the most difficult times of their lives right now. And I was even thinking, Larry, that to some degree, this is what we do when we gather together um, around racial reconciliation in our city. There's a long way to go, and we always feel that. But I love how you and others lead us out first, and let's first remember what God has done what God is doing in our city, what he's doing in our churches, and most importantly in our own hearts that are often more segregated than we think and divided. So we need that. We need remembrance parties. We need that personally. We need that corporately. And I do want to encourage us really practically, personally, if you don't know where to start, I say start daily in the morning and in the evening. And in the, in the evening, we already talked about it. Some of us need to hold that bread. What's God done? Just thankfulness. But in the morning, I can't remember the stat. I don't know why I didn't write it down. It, guess what the stat is, just ballpark of, or no, let me say it this way. What does, it's around like 80-something percent of people do the first thing they do when they wake up in the morning. What do you, what do you think? Just take a stab at it. Guess at it. It's a bunch of people are, Yeah. It's like around 85% of people, the first thing they do is take their phone. And I just want to say, I'm learning to do this. Started by like deleting half the apps on my phone. Like invitation to feast on the real bread, the first thing in the morning. And for some of us millennials, 
like it's kind of weird because some of you a little bit older like you've been doing that for some reason we've gotten away from what used to be called the quiet time and we need to bring that back like that's nothing that's not there's nothing legalistic about starting your day with the bread of life that's amazing so practical things and the last thing I'll say is just the importance of this practice it's important that we practice when times are good for the sake of when times are bad. When I was talking to Laurel about this, she said, you know, I really bet that the disciples in the boat, you know how they got in the boat, they forgot the bread. I bet they were hangry. Do you know that word, hangry? It's like so hungry you're angry. I bet they were hangry. And I said, oh, that's, that's a really good observation. I think you're right. Because... If it's family, if it's not our MO, if it's not our normal practice of remembrance, morning and evening, midday, of what God has done, when we get into the bad, difficult situation and when we get a little hangry, it's going to be hard to start engaging in that practice. And I want to end with a little story from uh, C.S. Lewis, one of his books, The Silver Chair. I have a reputation for ruining good books. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it this time. I'm just going to sit. This is just from the first chapter, okay? It's not the last chapter like in the past. So this is what happens. If you know the Narnia stories a little bit, there's always a little boy or a girl. This time it's a little boy named Eustace, and he's about to go on an adventure and a task that is far beyond him, just like us, greatly commissioned out, Okay? So he's on this adventure, on this task, and he, but he gets to start out on the mountain with Aslan, who's the Christ figure. So at the very beginning of the book, he's, he gets to like, before he goes out, he gets to like have this little huddle with the creator himself, and obviously it's a really good mountaintop experience. It's amazing. And he's like ready to go. And Aslan keeps like pulling him back and says, no, 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 no. We need to work on your memory right now. And he starts going through, and he makes him repeat these, what he calls signs. And he makes him repeat them again, and again, and again, and again, until Eustace is like, you've got to stop. And he's like, no, you need to know this. I'm going to read what Aslan says. And just for the sake of understanding how this applies to us, every time you hear the word sign, think of what Jesus has done, what he's doing, and what he's promised to do, Aslan says, Eustace, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lay down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs and secondly, I give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all like you expect them to look when you meet them down there. And that is why. It is so important to know them by heart and pay not attention to appearances. Remember the signs. 
Remember what Jesus has done, what he's doing, what he's going to do, and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. Let's pray. Jesus, we suffer from short-term memory loss, and we're thankful that you're gracious even with that. And that you invite us to remember your faithfulness. Help us as a church family grow in just sharing stories of your faithfulness in every space that we bump into each other. That you are bread, fully satisfying. And that you are daily bread given to us to meet our daily needs. And Jesus, I, th- I pray for our city. I pray for the city and different churches, Pastor Larry's church, many other churches, that we would be a church in Tacoma full of hungry beggars who go daily to Jesus and are transformed in his image and that it would transform our city. That is not too much to ask. It is literally your desire. Thank you that you want to empower us for that. Thank you that you are our sustaining bread. Amen.